0: Hello everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the creative, artistic side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and a couple years ago um, I started this podcast, and episode number one of this show was about a game that I was really into at that time, and still am today as it turns out. It was Horizon Zero Dawn, the absolutely wonderful open-world adventure by Guerrilla Games, PlayStation exclusive, I think it's now available on PC. And I was smitten by this game. I had such a good time with it. I found it to be such a special and magical game. I had never played anything quite like it at the time. Um, There are very few games that measure up to it now, I think, as an open-world game. It's in the very, very top tier of open-world games for me. Um, The the production values, the depiction of nature, the main character and and especially the story are all just on another level to to most games that are out there, in my opinion. Um, And I actually have been looking forward to the sequel uh, a lot. A lot of people have, I know. Um, And I've been very excited about the sequel and I've been absorbing a lot of media, looking at interviews with cast members, avoiding spoilers successfully so far, thankfully. Um, but as as the release date was bearing down, I thought that was a very complicated sci-fi story that Horizon Zero Dawn told. Um, and in that episode that I did a couple years ago, it's very short. The episodes used to be short; they're about ten minutes long. They're like an an atmospheric outline of what the games were, more than the kind of the more in-depth reviews that I do now, the more structured reviews. And so I thought, um, perhaps for my own benefit as I go into the sequel, I would like to re-familiarise myself with the Horizon Zero Dawn story and world. And so I replayed it. I went back into Horizon Zero Dawn this week on New Game Plus, which made it go by a lot faster because I was powered up to the absolute maximum with all of my old loadouts, weapons, levels, abilities, XP, etc. Um, and I really just wanted to do a story playthrough to meet those characters again for the first time, to reacquaint myself with this world and this history. And and as I was playing through it, it, the story struck me all over again. A lot of the details of the story had kind of left me in the two years since I played it that first time. Like the details of the the, the history of this world, how it has become the world that it is all of the characters that are involved, uh, Ted Farrow and Farrow Industries, Elizabeth Sobeck, Aloy, and the people that she meets in her time. Um, and as I was playing through this, it just it blew my mind all over again, basically. Um, it's all I've been playing in this last week, really. Um, after work, I've just fired up Horizon Zero Dawn, played a couple of hours before bed. And I managed to get through it in, I think, just 15 or 20 hours. Uh, I skipped all the side quests, I did a lot of fast travelling, I beelined to the next mission, whereas the first playthrough that I did took 87 hours. So I really avoided the main story and just explored the world and did every side quest and explored every piece of the outback um, and really, really dove into that game. And I think that's probably what I'm going to do with... Forbidden West now, I'm gonna play the story, but I'm gonna play it at my own pace and really just enjoy the game. Um, But it got me thinking that as the story had been so fascinating to me this second time around, and as I didn't really cover it in depth in the other episodes I've done on this game, it might be a really fun time to do a recap of what happened in that game because it's, it's three different stories, really, on three different timelines. There's a lot going on. And I think for a lot of people that played this game back in 2017, um, it's going to be a little bit of a readjustment because apparently Horizon Forbidden West is a real sequel, a genuine sequel that just picks up where the first game left off with repeating characters and a continuation of that story. So I've got a feeling that from reading some of the reviews, like something that a few reviewers have picked out, and the game has reviewed very well, but some reviewers have picked out that it has a lot of sci-fi mumbo jumbo, in inverted commas, which to me sounds like they had perhaps um, forgotten some of the story and so it didn't really click what was going on and there was lots of uh, names being thrown around and concepts being thrown around and there are a lot there's a lot going on in horizon zero dawn there really is and um, there's a huge timeline of events that comes together very gradually And so I think that this playthrough was very good for me in terms of setting me up for the second game, and I thought that it would be fun to talk through the timeline of Horizon Zero Dawn for people that are about to go into Horizon Forbidden West. I know a lot of listeners of this podcast have played Horizon Zero Dawn from the conversations that I have on Twitter, and I know that some of my patrons have too from the conversations that we have over on Discord. So that's what I'm going to do. I actually went on the Horizon Zero Dawn wiki today to look up loads of open questions that I had, even after playing through the main story. Um, the story comes to you in a very disparate manner, and there's a lot to take in, and it comes at you thick and fast. Um, and so even organizing my thoughts and piecing together what really went down in this game, it was really fun, actually. I had a lot of fun today drawing up a timeline of Horizon Zero Dawn. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. It's a bit of a different episode to my usual type of episode, where I'll start off chatting through all the games I've been trying in the week. Um, really, it's only been Horizon Zero Dawn this week. Um, and then I'll go on and review a game um, in a kind of a set format that I have for the for the podcast. And I think it works well, I think it provides structure. People know what they're gonna get here. And it helps me to, to structure my thoughts about games that I'm gonna play and review. But this one's a bit different. It's a deep dive into the lore of Horizon Zero Dawn, which I think a lot of people, even having played the game right after they played it, they probably missed a lot. They probably um, didn't quite organize all of the information in, in their minds because it's, I didn't, I think, at the time. It's just, it's a lot to get your head around. So that's what this show is going to be. Um, but before I do dive into Horizon Zero Dawn, I will just say that. Um, For people that haven't played it, this is going to be a little bit of a spoilery podcast. Um, Actually, not even a little bit. It's going to be a full-on spoiler cast about Horizon Zero Dawn. I would say that if you are curious about this game, you could go back and listen to episode one of the podcast two years ago, right back down at the bottom of the feed, and you'll get my my short review of the game that will hopefully set you up for it and get you excited about playing it, because... This really is a modern classic, in my opinion. Um, It's among the best games that I've played. Um, So if you do want to bow out because of spoilers, um, and I would advise you to do so, I would say if there's any chance you're going to play it, don't listen to the rest of this show if you haven't played it already, um, because I am going to go through some of the big plot reveals that were so exciting to go through, even on the second playthrough, uh, when you had some ideas about what was going on. Um, I will also say that this is a patron-supported show, so if it's your first time listening today, or if you're a long-time listener, you can support this podcast. Um, I have a few patrons, it helps me to buy equipment to make the show better, helps me to pick up games to cover if I can't get press codes for them, helps to keep everything ticking, um, and lets me know that people out there are listening and appreciating the show. If you would like to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild and sign up. Um, there's occasional extra episodes. There is a private Discord server for patrons of the show that's really fun. Um, so thank you very much to all my existing patrons, and thanks to you if you're interested in doing that, it's Patreon.com/slash Gaming in the Wild. And with all of that said, let's move on into this Horizon Zero Dawn special spoilercast episode. So Horizon Zero Dawn is a story that is split, in my in my mind, into three separate stories that are all told simultaneously. And they're all intertwined to some degree. First of all, there is the great mystery. Because in Horizon Zero Dawn, it's a game in which, of course, Aloy exists in a tribe called the Nora. Um, she is living in a world in the wreckage of humanity with torn cities and bent tower blocks and uh, destroyed overpasses, everything overgrown, everything reclaimed by nature. And this world is inhabited by robotic animals. And there is straight away just this huge mystery. What happened to humanity and where did these animals come from? Um, And that is the, the first spoke in the wheel of this game. Um, the history of the world, basically. The second strand of the story is Aloy herself. Who is she? Where did she come from? She has a mysterious backstory She's an outcast from her tribe, we don't really know why. There is some confusion about who her mother is. That's the reason that she's an outcast, Is something to do with her mom. And then the third strand of the story wheel is modern humanity. Because whatever apocalypse has occurred in this world, humanity still exists, but in a different state. It's in a tribal state. There are several tribes dotted around this world. They have uh, superstitious spiritual beliefs they worship the sun, they war against each other, there is local politics, and they they inhabit the wreckage of this civilization. And so that's the three story strands, the three spokes in the wheel of Horizon Zero Dawn, the great mystery of the ancient past and what happened, Aloy, who is she, and modern humanity, um, and what is happening in the modern age. And it's a pretty effective mixture, because the great mystery is told through... Um, holograms that you'll find in abandoned buildings and old voice files and text files and discoveries. So it's like archeology, span trying to mine through this this hideous wreckage of a civilization that fell and fell hard and trying to uncover the past. And then Aloy's personal story, um, the way that Aloy is made in this game, I still think that she is the best video game character that I've ever encountered. Um, she is so human. She is so emotive. Um, she's voiced by Ashley Birch, who does an incredible job of conveying strength, confusion, empathy, kindness, or um, everything that Aloy does is really, really. Um, Affecting. She's just a very affecting, very compassionate, very sympathetic character. Um, The way that she looks on the screen is fantastic. Um, You know, know, if you're going to spend like between 20 and 90 hours running around in a game, then you're going to be looking at the back of this character a lot. And so animation matters. And in the case of Aloy, she has so much physical character, like she runs um, like a person, it's like she slightly favours her left leg, just slightly, um, the way that she moves her arms and hands, and um, the animation on her hair is incredible, she has this shock of long red hair that has braids woven into it, and sort of slight dreadlocks and curls. Um, And the the way that the hair is animated is honestly mesmerizing. As Aloy runs around, her hair bobs um, in time with her steps. So when she's taking a step up, her hair is pushed down, and as she's falling back to the ground, her hair goes up. Um, And it's very realistic, you know. I think one of the, the great problems of video game animation, or the two, really, the hair and teeth, Like they've kind of got there with skin. They've managed to get pores onto skin. Um, They've managed to make very realistic looking skin. They are there with eyes. It's amazing what eyes do now. And it's amazing what um, video game eyes do in this game, actually. As characters are looking at each other, their eyes are kind of slightly moving from left to right. Their pupils are focusing. And they're very human looking eyes, too. Um, But in this game, They've absolutely nailed everything about Aloy, the the hair, the eyes, the face, skin, the gait, the way that she walks, runs, moves, Um, the incidental animations. For example, if you leave her standing alone and it's snowing, she'll reach out and catch snowflakes. Um, Everything that Aloy does is amazing. Um, She also has an amazing wardrobe of different outfits that you can buy um, they have different strengths and weaknesses. They are belong to different tribes. There is a Banuk tribe that lives in the far north that has ice-proof clothing. There are desert tribes that have fire-proof clothing. There is a noble tribe, and you can buy their, their silks. And, of course, the Nora tribe, which Aloy belongs to, which has hunter clothing that lets you move more stealthily. So Aloy herself is just an amazing construction. Um, the third spoke in the Wheel of Modern Humanity... Um, That was perhaps the least interesting one to me. There is a Sun King in the capital city of Meridian. You get to encounter him. There is a tribe called the Ossaram that work with the Forge. They're the tribe of the Forge. They build things. They build weapons. They build machines. Um, They're very oily like mechanics, and they're burly, and they have their own culture. There is the Karja tribe and the Shadow Karja tribe. Um, The Khaja being the nobility, the Shadow Kaja being um, a splinter of that nobility. There's been a fracture in that tribe and it has split. Um, The Nora are the hunters and they're um, very, very superstitious. That's the tribe that Aloy belongs to. They never leave their holy lands. It's forbidden to leave their holy lands. Um, And they're very superstitious about worshipping machines. They have um, a vault called the All Mother, which they worship as a goddess. Um, and they are the most superstitious tribe of all. But this modern humanity thing was not the one that grabbed me the most. When I was playing Horizon Zero Dawn, there are often moments where you have to you have to engage with the local politics in order to get tribes on your side and to get your way forward opened. For example, to pass gates or to um, attain the aid of military forces, things like that. But... Th- That to me was kind of a sideshow and what I really was enjoying in Horizon Zero Dawn was the mystery and Aloy and the mystery of the past is connected to Aloy and who she is so I think they did a really good job of telling an excellent story here and so because it is the most interesting I'm gonna I'm gonna focus in this podcast on the first two the great mystery and how that relates to Aloy and who she is and One of the most fun things about Horizon Zero Dawn for me was that you'll spend a lot of time running around in the world, you'll spend a lot of time chasing down clues from place to place, you'll get leads on uh, sites that you can go to to find information about the old world, Um, and when you get to those sites, they are things like corporate headquarters ...or scientific facilities that have fallen into absolute disrepair. Lots of them have locked doors that humanity hasn't been able to pierce. Apart from Aloy, because it turns out in this story, of course, that Aloy herself is a clone... ...that she has shares DNA with a prominent scientist from three centuries before she was born. And because she does share that DNA, she is able to uh, pass genetic locks... Um, They'll scan her, they'll see that she's 96% Elizabeth Sobek, who's the leader, um, a scientific leader of that time. And so Aloy can get access to sites that have been closed off to humanity and lost to time. And when you get into these sites, it's some of the most exciting stuff in the game. There isn't much combat here. Um, There's occasionally something that you'll have to defeat in one of these sites, but they're largely abandoned, and so you can kind of just relax and explore. And as fun as the combat in this game is, um, the story was the thing that really excited me about the game. And so whenever I got to one of these dusty, empty, dead sites and managed to sift through the rubble and to find important files and to unlock voice files and to see holograms that would tell me about the mysteries of the world that we were in, I absolutely loved it. Um, and it's a criticism that I've seen of this game is that some people felt that these moments in the game were kind of clumsily orchestrated lore dumps and I can sympathise with that to a degree. I mean, there are times at which you're just standing looking at a hologram, you can't really move around, if you get too far away it'll stop playing, Um, and so you're passively standing there as Aloy, there's no interaction, you're just watching a little TV show, a little holographic TV show that's telling you some of the important stuff that you need to know from the past. But I really didn't mind that. I actually liked it quite a lot. Um, I could see that if you were impatient to get through the game, I can understand that it could be annoying to have to just stand there and watch. But I was filled with such a sense of wonder and discovery at these moments, these places that really open up the mysteries that you've been living throughout the game and the Aloy has been living her whole life, um, I was filled with, I was tingling with excitement when I got to these places. So the fact that they are a somewhat passive gameplay experience didn't bother me. Um, and the first, the first big one that you get to is the headquarters of Pharaoh Industries. And Pharaoh Industries is a tech company. They worked in AI, AR, personal servants, um, environmental robots. Um, and they are run by Ted Farrow, a long-deceased pioneering industrialist of the old age, who hired a very promising graduate called Elizabeth Sobeck, who became a prolific scientist and the chief scientist of Farrow Industries. And you learn a lot of stuff here. Um, there are other key old-world locations around Colorado, um, there are derelict offices and facilities. Faro the HQ, there is the Zero Dawn Project Facility. So once you learn about the existence of Project Zero Dawn, which is the key factor in how the world is today, um, you learn all of that at Zero Dawn. Um, the, the key component in Project Zero Dawn is Gaia Prime. This is an AI facility now destroyed. And so those three places are really where you learn Um, the majority of the history of this world but it comes to you in holographic recordings it comes to you in voice notes it comes to you in text files they are short they are usually one to two minutes they are scattered throughout a vast game and threading together the pieces and how all of this stuff connects into the overall story is something of a task even if you are being attentive even if you are reading every file, it just comes to you slowly and over such a long period with so much detail and so much terminology. It's a very complex plot. It's a very fully worked through plot. No detail is left unanswered, really. And um, Any questions that people might have, even though it's a very improbable scenario, all of the questions, all of the answers are in the game. They are there to be found. Um, and so I made a timeline of the game. Um, starting off in the 2030s, when the history of this world begins, um, right through to the events of the game, when Aloy is born, and when the events of the game take place. And so I thought it might be fun to just go through this timeline, because it really opened my eyes on my second playthrough just how much there is to learn and how much there is to hold in your mind. And I really wanted to have that information in my mind when I play Horizon Forbidden West to enjoy it to the full, to not feel lost in the story. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through that timeline for you now. And I hope that it's entertaining or helpful or interesting in some way. It certainly was for me to prepare. So the first date that's really of note in this timeline is March the 11th, 2020. I remember seeing this in my Twitter timeline because it was the birth date of Elizabeth Sobeck, the great scientist whose work helped to save humanity from extinction in the Horizon universe. Um, but there isn't much known about that period. There is some references to the 2030s and an event called the Great Die-Off, this is a mass extinction event. It's it's basically based on the kind of science that we see now, um, climate science saying that biodiversity is just going to be absolutely wiped out as oxygen leaves the oceans, as forest habitats are destroyed, um, as ice melts. It's just gonna really change the living conditions for so many animals that they just die out, they can't live anymore. And so that happens in this game. A lot of this game is actually based on climate stuff and near future events that we can see coming a little bit. And I think that's part of why the story is so electric to me in a way is that they use a lot of real world things like AI, like um, augmented reality, like climate situation, the climate situation that we are in, like mechanized warfare. They are all things that are happening now, they're rumbling, and so there are threads from the high sci-fi story of this game that connect to the world that we're in now. And I found that to be very effective in how they constructed this scenario. Um, there are a few specific events that are referred to in the 2030s. There is the submergence of the Azores and New Zealand. There is, um, so lots of land masses went underwater. Um, and what came next in the 2040s was called the clawback. This is when the world kind of rallied around against climate change and against the, the havoc that it was wreaking on the planet. And this is where Ted Farrow comes in. He is at that age, he's probably in his 20s during the the 2040s, and he's seeing this happen. He's an industrialist, he's a businessman. He's making um, house assistant robots, AIs, augmented reality products, such as The Focus, a little clip-on device that helps you to see information about the world in holographic form and lights up the world around you with information, a key object in Horizon Zero Dawn. And so the clawback happens in the 2040s, and Ted Farrow is a big part of that. Um, he, he turns his ingenuity and his tech empire towards solving a climate problem, towards uh, fixing the oceans, towards a green cleanup technology. And he has some success. In the 2050s, we learn that Ted Farrow is hailed as the man who saved the world. And this is where things kind of go off the rails for him. Because with the help of this young graduate student, Elsabeth Sobeck, and her ingenuity and her empathy, her kindness and her genius, um, and his uh, financial muscle, he has managed to turn the tide on climate change to some degree. Humanity is clawing its way back. Ted and Elizabeth's... Um, Green cleanup technology has helped to turn the world around, um, and there are other things going on here too that contribute to what comes next. There is an event at Yellowstone Park. There is a, a, a mega volcano, a volcano that's about to erupt. This is something that we read about in in newspapers today, that Yellowstone could cause an extinction level event were it to blow its top. And that happens in the 2040s too. So secretly there is a project called Project Firebreak where they design, um, Faroe Industries designs an AI called Cyan. um, And they put in place technology of hydroelectricity to power this AI um, and they put in caps and they, they managed to fix the problem of Project Firebreak and to stop the, the other big threat that is coming their way, um, the eruption in Yellowstone. And so they're developing AI, they're developing new technologies, green technologies, they're developing robots that can carry out this stuff, they're automating the cleanup of the planet, and they're having scientific breakthroughs and they're being lauded for it, and the clawback has happened. But then in the 2050s, Um, Ted Farrow decides to diversify his portfolio into, um, Military technology. This is where Elizabeth Sobeck leaves. Um, Ted and Elizabeth have a falling out. There is a schism in their relationship. She starts a company called Miriam Technologies, where she wins a Nobel Prize for green technology. Um, Ted designs a range of robots that will automate warfare. And as you're playing Horizon Zero Dawn, you get all of this in little snatches. It's very hard to piece it together. Um, all of these little facts and factlets are just scattered in the dirt, really, literally. Um, and so it was very fun to line them all up in this way, to understand Ted and Elsbeth's relationship, and to understand how all of this kicked off. Um, because Ted's inventions are three warfare robots called the Scarab, the Kopesh, and the Horus. And the Horus is a huge robot with tentacles, they are... Mountain-sized robots. We see them lining the mountains of the area where we begin. They are now frozen in place. And these were the command centers of the the Pharaoh Technologies army. They are AIs. They control all of the other units, the smaller units. They can make new units, and most importantly, if. The enemy tries to hack them. They cannot be hacked. And if the enemy tries to cut off their energy supply in an emergency, they can consume biomass to uh, keep producing new units and to stay on the battlefield. Um, And the smaller units are called the Kopesh, which really isn't that small. It's like a cathedral-sized tank on legs, just a, a huge War Machine. And then there is the Scarab, which is a small, nimble spider, spider-like spider combat unit that's the size of, I don't know, maybe it's not quite elephant-sized, but it's bigger than horse-sized, something in between. Um, and that, those three are the Chariot Range. That's Ted Pharaoh's next big project after he's cleaned up the planet. And these swarms can be bought by corporations, they can be bought by countries, um, and they become the dominant uh, military method, the method of executing warfare, of defending industrial facilities, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and so they become pretty widely used. And the next day on the calendar is 2064. This is when the Heart Timor swarm goes rogue. So this is one of many swarms from the chariot line of automated warfare machines. And the Hearts Team or Swarm goes rogue, it starts attacking friendly units, it goes out of control. It becomes apparent to Ted Farrow that he has been so stringent with the security on these things in order to sell them as much as possible, and for them to be unbeatable um, technology, he can't get into them. He can't hack it. It's just not possible. And there is no backdoor. And we see memos from people that worked for Ted trying to argue for a backdoor to switch them off if they need to be switched off. But Ted thinks that that might be exploitable And so he leaves out that feature. Um, He is in a panic at this point. This swarm has started to consume biomass. It started to replicate exponentially. And he doesn't know what to do. So he calls for Elzebeth Sobek. They have a meeting. You witness that meeting in hologram form. She loses her shit. They have a huge argument. And he says he just needs her help because this matter is out of control. And Elzebeth Sobek, she looks into the problem. She comes back with her projections. She projects that hacking the swarm could take supercomputers and cutting edge AIs hundreds of years to brute force. She surmises that the swarm cannot be defeated militarily and that it will continue to grow and consume biomatter until in 15 months the world is stripped bare of all life. And the scale and complexity of this technological disaster scenario is mind-blowing. And when it was being revealed that this stuff had gone down, this just existential threat to humanity and to Earth's biosphere, it's really exciting stuff, man. This really blew my mind. I was enjoying this story so much as these revelations were coming to be. Uh, My jaw dropped, my eyes were wide open, I put my hand over my mouth as these revelations were being told, and I think it's a big tribute to the writing on this game that that reaction was so emotional and so keenly felt in me the player. Um, The story is is compelling and it's incredibly well told, and as a work of high um, sci-fi, it really just blew my mind, the whole thing. And so, Elsabeth comes up with a solution. It's not a pretty solution, it's a horrible solution, but it's the only solution that she can come up with. Um, she, says, she tells Ted her plan, he's outraged, he's broken, and she makes him promise that he has to take part in it, he has to fund it, he has to put all of the weight and financial clout of his businesses behind it and mobilize the world behind this plan. It's called Zero Dawn. Um, and it's really the crux of this history, it's the crux of this universe. And so Zero Dawn is a project that will use the next 15 months that humanity has left to bring to bear all of the, the resources and ingenuity of the world scientific community to create a supercomputer, an AI, called Gaia. and. The extinction of humanity and the desolation of the Earth with all of the biomass being consumed by this rogue swarm is considered to be inevitable at this point. So it's not a solution to the problem. It's not a super weapon. It's not going to solve the issue. Everything is going to die but this is a a plan to help it continue in the future. This AI will, first of all, brute force the swarm's access codes, probably across hundreds of years. It will hack into it, it will deactivate the swarm. It will then begin terraforming the planet, um, and then it will slowly repopulate the Earth over hundreds of years with flora, with fauna. It will birth humans which will be taught by machines and brought up and parented by machines, and then they will be released into the world again when it's safe for them to do so. Um, and this is a, a, a nuts part of the story, and um, maybe for some folks this is going to be a little bit of a leap for to be able to believe this, but for me um, I just found it to be mind-boggling. It was just, just, you know in the age of climate disaster, and things like that. So the problems seem so big, and there aren't solutions, really. And this is mirrored in the game, this this feeling of um, impending doom, and what do we do about it? The problem's too big. And the fact that they come back with this far-fetched technological solution that has to be done quickly. Um, it's kind of inspiring, you know, you get you get a little bit of a fire in your belly here. You can see that Elsabeth Sobek has a vision um, to save humanity, to let it die, but then to bring it back and to use technology to do that. Um, Ted has used his technology to cause this problem. And on the other side of the coin, there is Elizabeth. He wants to use her approach to fix the problem, or at least to allow humanity to continue after the, uh, the disastrous scenario that they found themselves in. Um, and I love that Gaia has these subordinate functions. Gaia is the central um, AI of the Zero Dawn project, but there are several subordinate functions. They're all named after Greek gods, um, or mostly Greek. They're I- AIs that will be slaved to Gaia that can carry out specific tasks. There is Minerva. She is a god of art, of knowledge, of schools, of teaching. And Minerva will crack the code. She will crack the code of the uh, the swarm. She will use um, technology that will be invented by Gaia to then take down the swarm, that's Minerva's only job. There is Aether, who will detoxify the atmosphere. There is Poseidon, who will detoxify the oceans. These are all separate AIs. There is Hephaestus, who is obviously the uh, the forgeman of the, the Greek gods, the inventor. And he will um, create manufacturing technology to create Gaia's terraforming machines that Gaia will have to design. Um, herself during this period there is Artemis who will reintroduce the animals, there is Demeter who will reintroduce plants there is Olivia who will clone a new generation of humanity Apollo that will educate them and then of course there is Hades the antagonist of the game who will act as a hard reset if all of this effort goes wrong, if the terraforming goes wrong, then Hades can basically repeat the disaster um, get a clean slate and allow Gear to start again and it's at this point in my notes that I've written, I fucking love this in capital letters. And I do, I fucking love it. I love gear as the AI. I love that all of these subordinate functions are named after gods that relate to them um, because the, the line between AI and God is very blurred in the horizon world. Um, AIs are treated as gods um, in this world when they are encountered by people. Um, and the whole thing is just so well done. Um, I love it. I love it so much. I got goosebumps reading this back. Um, the the story of this game is just stunning. And so this is the Zero Dawn project. They have to bring together experts from all around the world. And there is one sequence in the game where Aloy comes through the... Um, The Zero Dawn headquarters, she comes through the reception area and there are lots of memos lying around, there are lots of voice notes lying around, and we learn all about the recruitment process of the Zero Dawn project, we learn that great scientists were brought over from all around the world, they were told what was happening, they were told the apocalypse was here. Um, There are memos saying that we have to soundproof reception because people are screaming when they find out this news. They are losing their shit. They are freaking out and it's scaring the people in reception. We learned that... um, there is an eligibility criteria for joining the program that you can't come through if you're broken by this news, if you're emotionally broken by the news. And if you decide to turn down the invitation to join this program because of secrecy, you can either live out your days in a cell or you can self-euthanize. Um, And so this is the, what's on the table for these alpha candidates. Can they mentally deal with what they've been told? Can they hold it together? Or do they want to live in a cell? Or do they want to commit suicide knowing that all life will end? And this is just brutal information. And you're discovering this as you're walking through this, this desolate, derelict, uh, broken, um, abandoned Uh, base of operations and it's just very very striking you're walking through what happened um, and you're in some ways a living testament to the the success of the project but at the same time something is clearly very wrong with the project the machines have become hostile Um, humanity is not educated Um, they don't know all about the things of the past it's an uneducated humanity a superstitious tribal humanity and so something has gone wrong somewhere along the way here um, it didn't all come off but apparently there has been some level of success and the whole mystery is just so compelling um, and we see elisabeth creating Gaia we see her imbuing Gaia with emotion as well as intelligence we see them testing that out, we see conversations between Gaia and elisabeth in which Gaia expresses sadness um, at the mass extinction of animals and at fauna um, and this is a, a really cool and smart note in the whole thing. There are so many cool, smart moments. But the fact that Gaia, who will have to design the terraforming machines, um, is sad about the the loss of megafauna um, and animals of all kinds. And then the animals that we see out in the world, um, the machines are based on animals. They look like animals. They behave like animals there are horses, there are deer that dredge up biomatter. Um, all of this is just perhaps based on the fact that Gaia herself felt sad that animals were gone and wanted to in some way artistically represent them um, in the machines that went out to terraform the world. Just beautiful, just brilliant. And this is almost the end of the old world here. Um, they build the AI, they build Gaia, they build the subordinate functions. Um, everything unfolds as they had hoped, there are difficulties along the way, um, but they do it, they get there. In 2066, the Alphas live out the rest of their lives in the bunker. Um, during this time, we learn that Ted Farrow loses his mind, he's gone crazy, he's racked with guilt, um, and he erases the Apollo program, um secretly erases the Apollo program, which is the one that's supposed to educate humanity when they come back. so they know what happened. It's his own guilt eating him up. he doesn't want people to know And so it's a very dramatic twist that Ted Pharaoh goes mad. he murders the other alphas, he deletes Apollo. and then extinction occurs. That's the year 2066 human extinction occurs. Um, and that's the end of that act of human history. We learn that in the 23rd and 24th centuries, Gaia was just quietly going about what it was meant to do. All people were dead, and Gaia was trying to solve the problem. Minerva was working on cracking the code to kill the swarm, um, to deactivate the swarm, which had gone dormant having consumed all of the biomatter on Earth. It was on rest mode, basically, and Gaia is designing machines. They have some early success in the year 2116, when Minerva cracks the code um, and is able to carry out that function, put out the call on a piece of machinery called the Spire, which Gaia has designed, that sends out a signal to all of the machines and the swarm is gone. That part of the mission has been a success. It then takes a couple hundred years for the rest to happen. And we learn through notes that there are several attempts to terraform the earth, that Hephaestus builds sites called cauldrons And Demeter and Poseidon send out their creatures and their flora and their fauna and all of the AI functions do terraform. It goes wrong. It doesn't work. They have to use Hades to wipe it all out again. And so Gaia makes that decision to start again. It takes a couple iterations before they're able to successfully terraform the Earth. Um, And that's when they start to repopulate. They send out seeds, they send out these flowers that will release seeds into the air and distribute them. They make um, these terraforming robots, such as the strider, which is a horse shaped machine that runs out to scout resources. The grazer that looks like a giant deer with these antlers that are actually drills that drill into the earth to harvest grass and to harvest uh, minerals and to turn that into um, resources that can be used to make more terraforming robots. So it's a little bit like the swarm of old, except rather than war and destruction, their job is to repopulate the earth with plants, animals, and people. Um, and I think it's quite interesting, this animal ecosystem, um functions in some way like the they all have their purpose you can see the purposes of all of the different machine animals and um, they all fit into a bigger picture and it's Gaia's sadness about the extinction and that's, that's ma- um, made them manifest as animal looking things it's an artistic gesture and a mournful gesture towards the past but because Apollo was deleted by Ted Pharaoh, people don't know what they are they don't know about the animals of the past and the next day on here is 2326, this is when the cradles bring the embryos out of uh, stasis, and they birth new humans. And then it's the year 2381, by the time humans are released into the wild. Um, and that's the the successful part of the story, really. Um, things are going well at this point. Gaia is doing what Gaia is meant to do. The only problem is that the humans haven't been educated because of the deletion of Apollo. But this is when the timeline of the game begins. In the year 3020, a signal is sent to Gaia, it's a mysterious signal, we never find out where the signal comes from, and it unleashes the subordinate functions and allows them to become fully-fledged, separate AIs, no longer under the control of Gaia. And they are able to break free, they're able to break out of the system, Um, especially Hades, which is the most aggressive and dangerous one. Um, And so Hades has started to try and carry out its function, which is to delete the world. Um, Gaia tries to stop this from happening by self-destructing, and at the very moment of self-destructing, sends a signal to one of the Cradle facilities to replicate Elzebeth Sobek, because at this moment it's a cry for help. Gaia has lost everything, Gaia has to self-destruct, and hopes to be rebuilt. And this is explained as something called the Lightbringer initiative. It's just in one note. I actually missed this in my playthrough, and I only found this in the Horizon Wikipedia. The Lightbringer initiative was to store the DNA of all of the Alphas who built uh, Gaia in case they needed to be cloned. Um, It was never used, there was initially a plan to try and actually clone them in case the project couldn't be completed fast enough, so that when the scientists reached the end of their natural lives, there would be clones of them ready to take on the work that remained. But they never had to do that, they did get it finished in time, but they did have that genetic material available, and so at Gaia's dying moment, she clones Elisabeth Sobeck, that is who Aloy is, Aloy is born, um, and the game begins. And that's the timeline. That's the timeline of Horizon Zero Dawn, Um, and that's where Horizon Forbidden West really uh, takes off again. We know from playing the game that Aloy successfully destroys Hades. We know that there are more subordinate functions out there somewhere in the world. We know that Aloy's job isn't over, that she has to rebuild Gaia in order to try and stabilize the terraforming efforts. Um, Aloy does meet in the DLC of the game The Cyan AI, which is the AI that was put into sleep mode after having stabilised the Yellowstone Park volcano. So we know there are other AIs out there too. Um, And so it's a very intriguing place that we're left. And I just find this to be such a thrilling work of science fiction. I really do. Some of it might sound far-fetched to some people, but... To those of us that this really hits home with for whatever reason, I know that I'm able to kind of gloss over cracks. If you really start to pry at the details, you can't kind of tell that the story was backwards engineered. Um, and there is a great documentary by Noclip about the making of Horizon Zero Dawn, in which we find out how this story was written a little bit. Um, we find out that the studio, Gorilla, had already planned for a game with robot animals and a tribal civilization, and they hadn't written a story. And they brought in an American writer called Ben McCaw, who fleshed out the narrative. He backward engineered. Why would there be hunters hunting for robotic animals? And so it all started with the vision of Aloy riding Um, a biological horse and hunting a herd of robot animals and there is um concept art out there um, that shows what the original vision was Um, apparently it was a big wrench for the dev team to let go of that idea of horseback riding Um, but for this plot to work ben was saying that all of the large um, life forms had to have been eaten up had to have been wiped out for this story to work because at this point in history, the terraforming is still undergoing, it's still it's uh, a work in progress at the point in history where the game takes place. And so I can see that there is a lot of expediency there if you start looking for it, you know. There are things that have been bent into a certain shape to fit, um, and if you start looking for it and start picking, you can find it. Um, but for me personally, I just love it. I love the detail of it. I love how well everything fits together. I don't question it that much. The the overall construction of this world and this history and this story just gripped me from beginning to end, and I absolutely love it. And now that Horizon, Horizon Forbidden West is here, I'm really hoping that they continue on the trajectory that they're set. Ben McCall is the narrative director of this game, so the fingerprints that he put onto Horizon Zero Dawn, we will hopefully see again. Um, I'm hoping that we meet more AIs. I'm hoping that Cyan, for example, who was in the Frozen Wilds, the volcano supercomputer, is still there. It would be really nice if Cyan was um, helping Aloy, if she could communicate to Aloy through her focus, to give information and to give analysis. Um, I'm really hoping for a continuation of the feeling of discovery that we got from Horizon Zero Dawn. Because now that the big mystery is unveiled, something has to carry that torch in the story. If they want to continue the feeling of discovery, that was a really key aspect of Horizon Zero Dawn. It's why I have, um, it's why I've done this timeline episode just to lay out all of the details, and in what order everything happened really clearly. And it was a pleasure to be discovering this timeline and to piece it all together. It was really mesmerizing to be playing as Aloy with this twin motive of finding out her own history, her connection to Elspeth Sobeck, um, Sobeck's impact on the world, and the history of Ted Farrow and Gaia, and all of this stuff that had gone down, all of these amazing places. It just had an emotional resonance, and it had a a cool, um, high, hard sci-fi vibe that was just just spotless, in my opinion. Um, And so I'm, I'm hoping that they can continue that in the next game. I'm very excited to play it. As I am recording right now, it is 2222 on February 17th in the year 2222. And it is a significant date in the Horizon universe. It's when Forbidden West is coming out. So that brings us up to the present day. Uh, In the Horizon universe and in my own personal timeline, too. The game comes out at midnight. I think I'm going to download it and play it at midnight. Um, And it was really fun to play the first game again. It was really fun to make this timeline and to make this podcast. This is a slightly different podcast to my usual format. So if you've gotten this far, I hope that you've enjoyed it. Um, If it's your first time listening, then please do. Come and hang out. Come and follow me on Twitter at GamingInTheWild, in the Wild, um, and you can see my playthrough of Forbidden West. I'll be tweeting all the way through it. I did tweet my playthrough of Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, if you've enjoyed this so much that you would like to support the show, you can go to Patreon.com/Gaminginthewild um, and sign up for as little as a dollar a month. Um, I like hearing from people that listen to the show, so p- please do feel free to get in touch. Um, Gaming in the Wild is also on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Twitch for that matter. Maybe I'll even stream some Forbidden West. I'll be back with a new episode next week. Maybe you can guess what game I'll be talking about. Even if it's only first impressions, I'm not going to rush this game. I really want to savour it and enjoy it. Thank you very much for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other, and bye-bye for now.